So you did it. First day. Check it off the list. Nailed it. You're still here. Congratulations. I, uh, I got to confess that. Can you hear me okay in the back? Cool. I've jumped the fence at a lot of meditation centers. <laughs> I've jumped the fence and, uh, you know, done, you know, left a retreat, uh, was completely sure of my conviction to leave. And within a number of hours, jumped the fence. They hadn't even noticed I left. And I snuck back into the retreat. (laughs) The way of the world, you know? The grass is always greener on the other side because it's fertilized with bullshit. (laughs) Makes the grass really green. So congratulations on being here, on staying Last night, I heard so many of uh, my colleagues welcoming you. What does that really mean? To welcome you into the space, onto the land, to welcome not only just every single one of you, but every single part of every single one of you. That's what the Dharma is welcoming us into. The parts that I've been trying to change for years, the parts I love, it's all there. I'm going to say probably a hundred things. And maybe you'll connect with one or two of them. And I'm totally okay with those odds. So just listen for maybe one or two things that you resonate with. As reflecting on uh, what does it take to come to retreat? You know, why do we do this? How do we listen to that voice in us that says, you know, it might be time to slow down and turn inward because that is wisdom speaking. And so in a way, wisdom is what brought us all here. I remember when I came to the Dharma, the instructions felt very uh, simple and uh, my first teacher said, look, uh, just love what is. That's it. That's your instruction. Love what is. And I was like, I, I, I think I could do this. Yeah, love what is. Love what is. Okay. I was like, hold up. Teach. I got this pain in my back. It's killing me, dude. Just help me out with that. And she no, referred to that last instruction I gave you. And I was like, no, no, but this is it's not something to love. It's not even a thing. It's, it's stupid. It's just an obstacle. It's in the way. I'm ready to love what is, but just help me with this. Does that sound familiar? It's so funny. I had no idea what a pain in my back could have to do with my relationship with my father 
or you know, my own freedom within my own heart. What could that have to do with this? Just everything. Just how, how I engage or turn away from discomfort or pain. Hmm. I mean, after a, a short time of sitting, part of what we come into contact with is so many of our own judgments or beliefs, uh, our own expectations. You know, Spring was talking about the beautiful catalog with the picture on it. Like, I want that. Sign me up. I love that. I love that feeling that that invokes. And then we get here and it feels totally different. It's like, hold on, how about that person on the flyer? It didn't look cold at all. (laughs) Rather mild climate. (laughs) The idea of retreat meets actual retreat. Yeah. Um, some of the internal landscape, um, at least, uh, yeah, from people I talk to, a lot of us work with judgment, self-judgment, where, how we should be doing, where we should be on the path. Yeah, to lesser degrees, we all work with this as part of what's happening. We could say it's um, like a bit of a struggle Like the good part of me is trying to fix the bad part of me. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. I think the the practice for me is trying to experience myself outside of that paradigm, even for a moment. That all I have to do is try to be a better version of myself you know, kinder, more loving, whatever it is that I, th- I hold as uh, success. And when I think about uh, how I orient toward this practice now, after a couple decades of kind of sitting in rooms like this, Well, not really this grand, but you know what I mean. The truth feels closer to, okay, if there's two parts in me, there's what's loved and what's longing to be loved. That's what it feels like to me. That's how I orient toward it. And then how closely can I listen internally for what's screaming for my care and attention? I, like so many of us, um, know, I have a history of riding myself pretty hard, you know? Because these things, these qualities that I'm trying to cultivate, I really want to cultivate them. It's very important to me. And so I think that I just got to try harder. It reminds me of my dad a little bit. My dad, um, 
he spent most of his life uh, in prison. And uh, I have four, four sisters, so I'm the only boy. And uh, he used to say something to me a lot. Uh, he used to say, and he still says it sometimes. He says, you know, I, I should have been much harder on you. And when I do that to myself, it's like I'm picking up that mantle. I'm like, don't worry, Pops, I got it. I'm beating the shit out of myself too, you know? And it's like, wow, check out that cycle. How, how could we ever get to love with that kind of violence? And I don't mean physically. I just mean mentally, emotionally. You know, this kind of withholding love until we act right. When in the history of humanity has that ever worked? Right? I just think about our families or, you know, my whole family would be enlightened if that led to that. (laughs) If that seed was going to flower, it would have. Hmm. Hmm. So here we are, we try to incline the mind, incline the heart uh, toward kindness, toward these beautiful qualities, very wholesome qualities. And it's hard. And what's the basic tension here? You know, love what is. It's very simple, right? I think judgment gets in the way in this, this kind of... Uh, the tyranny of expectations. This is what I thought. This is how I thought it should be. And in some ways, I think, at least for me, I was holding a belief that I should be perfect. I mean, it sounds silly to say, but somewhere back there, that was operating. And everywhere I was outside of the lines, well, that's where I was just a little too much. It's become a practice for me that when I find myself suffering, I try to figure out what expectation is sponsoring this suffering. Because it's usually an expectation that I don't think I should be like this, the world should be like this, this moment should be like this, whatever it is. Hmm. But I believe in alchemy. I believe in the alchemy of presence, that no matter what we come into contact with, if we we go toward it wholeheartedly, it has the possibility of turning into something very beautiful. And I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times in my own heart. We transform the conditions that we're born into, into something beautiful. So this talk is mostly about trying to get you to lower your standards. (laughs) Yeah, 
lower your expectations, give yourself a break. I promise you, you cannot hate yourself into becoming a better person. I tried. We could cross it off the list. Um, so what we're doing here is uh, a really different um, approach. You know, we use these words like uh, love and kindness and friendliness and And Spring mentioned it today. She said, we're always practicing something. Right? So here we get to choose what we're practicing. Right? So what are we practicing? Hmm. Hmm. I guess in the beginning, uh, I was practicing... We talk a lot about kind awareness, and I love that. That's how I orient toward the practice. That's how I talk about it, is kind awareness. I think for the first, uh, for the first while, it was more like kind of awareness. <laughs> yeah? I was vaguely aware of what I was doing. I was mainly going through the motions, trying to not draw too much attention to myself. Hmm. And then, that, um, then the practice became, okay, can I expand the conditions that I get to bring a generous heart to, right? Because it used to be, it was only for these people in this neighborhood, standing on this corner, and that's where it begins and ends. And then maybe it expanded out to... Members of my family, and then maybe so. Can we widen the range of experience that we get to feel generous and loving or friendly, whatever you want to call it, whatever resonates for you? And, and I've seen this capacity to love that we have, I've seen it a lot, mostly with kids, you know, because they're kind of beyond reproach, right? We know that they're worthy of love. Yeah, a great gift to have children in our lives. If there are our own, uh, the people around us, uh, children have been a real saving grace for me. Because when I try to bring the love inward, there's a lot of questions about my worthiness. Do I deserve that? Is this self-indulgent? Is this, have I been in California too long? <laughs> hmm. I, uh, I had a godson, I still do, but now he's 21 and six feet tall. And, but when he was a little baby, I used to feed him and when he come home from school sometimes, growing up, uh, have a hard day, get scared, something under the bed, whatever it was, you know, I could be uh, extraordinarily gentle, very patient. So I knew I had the capacity to do that. It's just bringing it home was uh, really the work of a lifetime. I think it gets hard when we don't 
uh, believe in ourselves, when uh, we forget our own value, you know, we become estranged from our own hearts. And I know these are um, rather dramatic statements. But I think um, when I look back on my life, when I needed love the most was when I messed up, which was often when I felt uh, like I had no relatives. You know, I felt alone in the world. How do we wrap ourselves up with love and affection when these energies kind of run through us? We're trying to cultivate love and it's very, uh, it's an intense opposite arises, right? How do we meet that? Not to fix it, not even to change it. You know, that would be strategies. That's manipulation. But if you're really interested in freedom, how do we hold these truths as well? They're just bubbling up. Hmm. This, uh, I remember coming here and uh, hearing this idea of basic goodness. Not something I grew up with. But at the core, uh, we have an intrinsic value that's untarnishable, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. So now when we do these phrases, when we cultivate these feelings, that's where I start. It's like, do I believe in my own basic goodness? Or is love more of a gated community? Yeah, where I can love this, but not that, right? I can love bits of myself, but not the whole. And the the Dharma really, it really did invite me into more of a completeness. I tried to be good. I did. It was terrible. It was really bad. I was, you know, wore, wore white. I was praying all the time. I was bothering everybody, you know, eating vegetables. It was a mess. <laughs> it, it just wasn't me, you know. Uh, it was something I was trying to be, yeah. What does it mean to not leave any part out? So no matter how anxious you feel and neurotic or depressed or angry or sad, we always approach it the same way. We surround ourselves, our immediate experience with presence and warmth. And this is where I was talking about the alchemy of presence. We make love of ourselves perfect, not ourselves. 
I'm not trying to make ourselves perfect. Keep in mind, uh, everything that you're coming into contact with, you know, in this retreat, as the day unfolds, as the week unfolds, we come, we come by it so honestly. You know? We're born into whatever conditions we're, we're born into, and then we try to get our needs met. And we end up with all these kind of strategies. And many of us are here today because we learned how to survive. So we want to acknowledge that these uh, parts of ourselves may have served us in the past. Hmm. This is uh, the first night of retreat, so we'll, we'll get into some roomy here. He says, we have not come here to take prisoners but to surrender ever more deeply to freedom and joy. We have not come into this exquisite world to hold ourselves hostage from love. Mm. Think about the people you love, whoever it is. It could be animals, it could be anything. Mm. And then think about even when they're grouchy or they're tired or sensitive or uptight, you know. You still love them, right? That means you're a good lover. Because if you can only love what's lovable, you're a business person. That's a transaction. That's not any great gift. You know, imagine those, you know, I'm, I'm on the altar with my wife and those are the vows that I'm going to say. I'm going to love you as long as you're lovable. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? That sounds absurd. When we love, when it's uh, hard to love, that's what makes it a courageous act. That's what makes it vulnerable and beautiful and daring. So here we are in this love affair with this moment, with ourselves. Hmm. And uh, sometimes there's struggle, and there's really beautiful treasures in the struggle. If we, if we know um, the right eyes to look through. Sometimes uh, teachers would say, you know, a, a traditional way to work with it would be, look, uh, move past the primary object. But that might be, that primary object might be doubt or shame or unworthiness, whatever's getting in the way. So we want to include that. 
because those are the voices that might need love the most. It doesn't mean they're going to get bigger and overwhelm us, but we've tried to starve them out by not loving them. And we try a different strategy. How do we tend to them skillfully? How can I turn toward what's happening here in the service of what I say I'm committed to? Not fixing, but meeting. Actually being genuinely curious of what is this? I mean, how can we respond to something wisely if we don't even know really what it is? All we have is an idea about it. It doesn't feel good. Well, that must not be worthwhile. Let's get back to some real good stuff. And I don't know, um, there's a belief, sometimes for me, uh, there would be a belief that this shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't be like this. That really removes any possibility of freedom. Because once I do that, I've moved away from uh, this moment. I moved into if only, or what if. The reason this moment is so, we keep coming back to it, is because it's really the only place love can be alive. I can't be this next week. Next Thursday, I can't be loving. Or when I get my stuff together, it's not going to, that, that mirage keeps moving. So this is the one place love can actually be alive. And so we keep coming back here. And uh, part of what this experience uh, is teaching me is that we bring more to the experience than experience brings to us. So whatever's happening, that's where the inquiry is. It's not something to get around. It's not something to let go of. It's not something to figure out. It's something to engage with. Hmm. For years, I wanted it to be otherwise. I just wished that I could get to the feel-good part. I had enough suffering. This was not my first stop. I tried a lot of things. But if I could just cut to the feel-good part, it actually wouldn't be real. And that's important to me, that it's actually real. Because my whole life felt like a charade. It's never quite as real as advertised, anything. 
you know, my family wasn't my family. My neighborhood turned out to be not my neighborhood. Even, even the drugs when I was a kid, they didn't give me what they promised. I remember uh, it was the early 90s when I got introduced to practice and uh, I made a commitment. I made a firm commitment. I said, okay, I'm going to find out if this is real. And the only, I have to go to India to do that because I have to go meet the Dalai Lama. And if he's running a hustle, I'll know because I'm a hustler. (laughs) And I'm going to hurt that person. I made a vow to hurt the Dalai Lama. (laughs) That's how desperate I was for something real. It sounds crazy now, right? It's laughable. And yet, my whole life was riding on this moment when he would look me in the eyes. And when that moment actually came, I just stood there and cried. I stood there and cried because I did see something really beautiful and very real. Thankfully for both of us, actually. And what does it mean to invite ourselves into an intimacy with our experience? How willing are we to touch what's here? And I don't know, you know, sometimes uh, to love it feels like a real stretch. It's like, okay. If this part of it is, uh, I've, I've hated it, and this is, I love it, there's a whole bunch of steps in the middle. It's like, okay, I'm not hating it actively anymore. Okay, well, maybe there's neutrality, or maybe I even care about it a little bit, or maybe I'm cool with it, but I don't, you know, don't stay too long. You know, There's a bunch of phases from I hate this to loving what is. So I had to trust that these things had a timing of their own. You know, we can't love and ignore something. It's not how love is. If we don't have a direct experience of connection internally, then all I have is the concept that I should be loving myself. So how do we have actual contact? Right? And, and you've been in this all day. Not the, I'm not talking about that we love the story of ourselves. I'm talking about the felt sense of belonging to ourselves. This is uh, Margot Anand. She writes, loving yourself doesn't mean being self-absorbed or narcissistic or, or disregarding others. Rather, it means welcoming yourself as the most honored guest in your own heart, a guest worthy of respect, a lovable companion. 
for me that all kind of, am I cool with me? Are we good? So when we find ourselves activated in that struggle, we can really trust the goodness of the practice, this alchemy of presence that I've been talking about. Every time we wrap ourselves up with warmth and affection and care, we weaken the conditioning that wants to send us running for the hills. I, I find for myself a, a profound difference in the attitude of mind when I hold this whole life as a practice. Everything is practice. Our conditioning, we're so powerful, we give shape to experience with how we relate to it. That's just how we do it, right? Um, We're very, very powerful. So if we see this as a love affair, and so it is, but if we um, kind of see ourselves as an inconvenience or a pain in the ass, so it is, right? So if this whole kind of self-improvement project isn't going the way we want it to, it gets real easy to get kind of short with ourselves. So attitude of mind is really important here. This idea that we're an inconvenience is not a helpful attitude. And life is it's complicated, right? There's a lot of energies called for out there in the world, not just love, right? Sometimes I have to be more fierce or sometimes I have to be more, uh, yeah, yeah, the, you understand. Life calls forth from us many different energies. But the container of a retreat is a little different. There's actually... Everything here actually can be practiced, right? The snoring roommate, um, the, the meals that are different, this is not my shower head, you know, all of it, right? <laughs> There's so many uh, things that are different here and that I, I think I can improve on. If they just took my advice, I've been sending letters <laughs> and yet here we are. Perfect place to practice. Hmm. I remember uh, hearing the epic battles of Mara and the armies of Mara and Buddha, you know? And, you know, I always rooting for the underdog, you know? It's just our nature, right? So I'm always just like, yeah, Buddha, show that Mara. But I noticed myself, you know, having, you know, six or seven breaks in the middle of a retreat day. But I never recognized that as Mara. Like, no, no, this is kind of a love for myself, you know? It's like, huh, okay. Maybe the first couple days as we, you know, 
you know, we want to kind of go into this gently and, and caringly. I understand that. What will cause me to turn away from an experience is what I mentioned a moment ago about thinking that it's wrong. Somewhere I picked up this idea that the only feelings that were worth feeling were pleasurable feelings. That led me to Narcotics Anonymous, right? Like just going toward what felt good. Me and my wife uh, wake up in the mornings and we have a little prayer we say in the mornings. I got it from Thich Nhat Hanh's people and you know, it's about uh, seeing all beings through eyes of compassion, especially each other. And very sweet. And we make this commitment to try to be love in the world. And sometimes... Uh, you know, I, I work sometimes in prisons and uh, sometimes in schools and sometimes in places like this. Sometimes the world really pushes you hard and I got to ask myself, man, are you still love? Right now, bro, where you at? Are you still love? Yeah, bro, I'm still love. You know, can be like that. I had an 18-month-old son named Valentino. Root guru. He flips out, you know, really strong-willed, very expressive, fully empowered, dangerous. <laughs> and when he's flipping out, I mean like full flip out, it's like he's an animal. It is. They, they develop into human beings, I'm told. <laughs> but, but he's pretty animalistic. You know, he's not getting what he wants. He's screaming, he's biting, he's tearing. He'll just do anything to get what he wants, you know? Uh, you know, at night when he's crying, it's three in the morning, and he can't get up yet, and I'm bouncing him for half an hour. It feels like I'm, you know, hanging from a cross, you know? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah, just bouncing up. Come on, bro. Come on, man, please, bro. You know. There's so much like us, you know. It's our story. Maybe not as dramatic, but we just want, don't want to know we're not alone, that it's going to be okay, that somebody is holding us. I understand that. And I understand that when love is present, anything is possible. Anything. I mean, we, we notice. We, we see mothers pick up cars to get their baby out. Where does that make sense? How does that happen? But it does. When love is present, anything is possible. So how do we keep orienting toward this path, toward this time together, with that in mind.
whatever we practice gets easier, right? Practice lying, it gets super easy. Anything. So I love Spring's question uh, or her comment around us always practicing something because we don't get to choose the content of what arises. We only get to choose our response. So are we responding with kindness to what's arising? That's the way we will cultivate kindness, by how we respond. Most of my life, I, I looked at the world as it was an adversary. It was something to make it through. And I felt that kind of uh, stress and very lonely, as I said. And, and I started practicing friendliness and the world became friendlier. The weirdest thing, right? Because friendliness was not a leading value in my neighborhood, right? <laughs> it was something I learned later on. It was just like, oh. This is interesting. This feels a lot nicer. Yeah. <laughs> this is hot off the press, you know? And I noticed this, the immediate suffering that arose whenever I deemed something wrong. I could feel myself going to war to refuse that reality. And then trying to fix it, right? So 75 workshops later, I come across the words of Red Hawk. We are so conditioned to believe that when we see a problem, we must immediately fix it. One of the most difficult things to do in this work is to observe without interference, neither judging nor changing what is observed. Lay down your sword and cease fighting, weary traveler. The fight is a trap. So this whole struggle, this war I was always kind of going into with myself, the whole thing is a trap. How do I just see, wow, I'm in pain. Can I hold that tenderness? Can I respond with compassion? I felt like I was in a tug of war with the pleasant and unpleasant. And it was strengthening this habit of refusing reality, of just kind of wanting just the good things. Hmm. I had a lot of inspiration though. I had good teachers. Yeah, I moved to the Bay Area and there's a lot of good teachers here. One of them said, we're so unused to emotion that we mistake any depth of feeling for sadness, any sense of the unknown for fear, and any sense of peace for boredom. I wanted to punch him in the chest <laughs> for making me feel that. Oh. Because it was so true, I just had no idea what, what I was coming into contact with. Like it, w it wasn't 
overwhelmingly pleasant, I just thought, no, 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 that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for peace. That looks like the catalog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the main message from the mind is something has to be done, right? That's why the world is so built, right? Something has to be done. And the main message from the Dharma and from the body, maybe something just has to be felt. What has to be felt here? What has to be known? What does it mean to be intimate? And the body is such a reliable refuge. We can feel the earth underneath us. It's always calling us back to this present time awareness. The body has the ability to short circuit the wildest of my stories. You know? I find it helpful to remember when I'm in these struggles that I am the product of thousands of loves. that I'm standing on a lot of shoulders. And I don't mean just my teachers and mentors and friends, but also my ancestors. I think they're all pulling for me. That's the story I'm going with. And how many of my Ancestors struggled to bring this love home. How many of them struggled with their own worth, their own forgiveness? And now it's my turn. We go back to Persia and Rumi. With life as short as a half-taken breath, don't plan anything but love. Mm. Not by force, but by diligence, by continually opening our hearts and saying, yeah, that too. You too. You're welcome here too. How do we meet ourselves in the places that we feel most unmet? A place for no place. So we pick up these fragmented pieces of ourselves and we put it all back together and we see it all belongs. And not only does it all belong, but we belong to ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. This is you, brother. He writes, all my life I made it complicated, but it's so simple. I love when I love. And when I love, I am myself. This is the promise of the Dharma, 
the freedom to live with an undefended heart. Yes. Sometimes I imagine Shakyamuni Buddha outside my house with a bullhorn. Come out with your heart open, you know? <laughs> that kind of feeling. Right? You're really inspired by the examples of my teachers. Not trying to manufacture something that's not there, but trusting it's already there. So love is this natural, awakened heart. And uh, we forget, you know? And to remember is the practice, right? That's, that's what we're doing here. We don't, this is Bob Sharples, we don't meditate to f fix ourselves to heal ourselves or to improve ourselves or to redeem ourselves. We do it as an act of love, of deep, warm friendship to yourself. In this way, there's no longer any need for the subtle aggression of self-improvement. Another guy I'd like to strike. It, this subtle aggression of self-improvement for the endless guilt of not doing enough. It offers the possibility of putting an end to the ceaseless round of trying so hard that wraps so many people's lives in knots. Instead, now there is meditation as an act of love. Hmm. I had this teacher, he's a, a real wild man, like certified. He might have been the wildest human being I've ever known, and I have known some <laughs> human beings. She's laughing because she knows me. <laughs> this dude would just sit and watch. He was a, he's a teacher. He has a large center, many, many students. He would sit and watch Navy uh, SEALs training videos. Hours. Just watching them train. And finally, I, I was staying at his center for a while. And I said, yo, bro, what's happening on that TV over there, bro? And he said, uh, those people are training for what they believe in. How hard are you training for what you believe in? What are you willing to do for love? Just because it's the natural radiance of the unobscured heart doesn't mean it's not going to be a lot of work. You know? Yeah. This is big heart work we're doing here. So give yourself to it. Be diligent about it. You know, you came here to get down. Get down. Come to the sessions. Really um, try to make your practice seamless between the forms. I'm going to ring the bell in a couple minutes. Nothing is over. We're just changing forms. So then we're going to get up and We'll do some walking meditation, then some sh putting on shoe meditation, then whatever, right? 
So just see what you can do to continue with, because uh, awareness accrues. So we don't have to shake it off and, all right, that was done, all right, what's next? We don't have to have those kind of starts and stops. We don't have to keep opening up the oven to see if the biscuits are done, right? Just let it ride. Yeah. I appreciate your time and your attention and most of all your practice. Let me sit for a moment before we part ways. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.